Hello and welcome back to the Great Women Artists podcast. I hope you are all doing well at this time. I'm so delighted to say that today we will be speaking to the women of G's Bend Quilt Makers. But before we start, I am so excited to reintroduce our sponsor for this series, the brilliant Alighieri Jewelry, a collection inspired by Dante Alighieri's Divine Comedy, with each piece corresponding to one of the poet's 100 poems. You can visit their wonderful work at www.alighieri.co.uk and just for our listeners, they are offering a 10% discount across all products with the code TGWA at checkout. Each week, their founder, Rosh Patani, will be giving us an insight into Alighieri. I hope you enjoy this episode. This week, I wanted to tell you a little bit about a collaboration that we did last year with the amazing brand Nanushka and their incredible founder, Sandra. Alighieri's always been about forming relationships and communities through storytelling. When I met Sandra last year, we bonded over the challenges and beauty of growing our brands. Nanushka's energy and spirit were so aligned with us. We decided to create a capsule of jewellery that celebrated the beauty of what it means to be a woman in this modern world. The bulbous amphora shapes are a nod to ancient fertility rituals, and the whole collection really celebrates the beautiful nature of how women marry the sensual with the tough. We invite you to go to the website to experience Explore the collection and don't forget to use your code TGWA for your special 10% discount. Hello everyone and welcome to the Great Women Artists podcast with me, Katie Hessel. Some of you might know me from The Great Women Artists, an Instagram account I set up in October 2015, which celebrates female artists on a daily basis, ranging from young graduates to old masters. Well, in a similar fashion to the Instagram, this podcast is all about celebrating female artists from a variety of backgrounds and histories. And I'm so excited to be interviewing artists on their career or artists, writers, curators, or general art lovers on the woman artist who means most of them. What I want this podcast to do is celebrate female artists in all different capacities so you, the listener, can gain a look into the greatest female artists working now or from art history. I'm so excited to say that today on the Great Woman Artists podcast, we are speaking with the quilting sensations Loretta Petway Bennett and Mary Margaret Petway, who are part of the brilliant G's Bend Quilt Makers. Located in a small, remote and rural community in Alabama, USA, officially known as Boykin, which is surrounded on three sides by river and has a population of around 700, the women of G's Bend have been creating hundreds of quilt masterpieces dating from the early 20th century to the present day. As is the case with my guest today, one can even trace the lineage of the G's Bend quilt makers over three or sometimes four generations within the same family. Electric offbeat, full of flair, as well as both vivid and vibrant, for decades the women of G's Bend have adopted a wide range of material for their improvisatory, jazzy and geometric quilts, from denim to old pattern clothes, which they have referred to as making something shine from something that has been thrown away. Often quilting and singing in groups as they configure their stunning works, some of the women of G's Bend are in the collection of the Souls Grown Deep Foundation, a non-profit organisation dedicated to the preservation and promotion of the contributions of African-American artists from the southern states, of which our guest and quilter extraordinaire Mary Margaret Petway is chair. 
Although having been quilting for decades, with some claiming the tradition stemming from the 1800s, it has only been in recent years that the women of G's Bend have come to international renown and attention, exhibiting at major museums all over the world, from the Whitney Museum, Museum of Fine Arts Houston, New York's The Met, Margate's Turner Contemporary, and now their first ever solo exhibition in my hometown of London at Alison Jake's Gallery, which shows quilts spanning nearly 100 years. And I should add that our guest today are first cousins who come from an important lineage of female quilters and are showing alongside three generations worth of ancestors. Described by the New York Times as having created some of the most miraculous works of modern art America has produced, the women of G's Bend are rightfully forcing us to readdress the art historical canon, and I couldn't be more delighted to have them on the show today. Loretta Petway-Bennett and Mary Margaret Petway, welcome to the podcast. How are you both doing today? We're doing good. Doing great. Thank you. It's fantastic to have you here. So I discovered your work when you exhibited at We Will Walk, Art and Resistance in the American South at Margate's Turner Contemporary, a fantastic and important exhibition which brought together more than 20 African-American artists. And when I saw your quilts, I was just in awe of their vibrancy and vivacity. They are like nothing I've ever seen before. They are these dazzling masterpieces of all different patterns and unique languages. And then when I went to look up them on the web, I actually found hundreds more. So I was even more in awe. They completely sing and dance and they are so lyrical, uplifting, soulful, energizing and joyful. So I'd just love to start off by asking you, how would you describe your own quilts and the quilts of G's Bend at large? (laughs) I have to describe the quilts as being, well, I have to say unevenly made, not a perfect patterns. So I, I like to describe them as funny quilts. I like to say funny quilts. <laughs> I try to make your eyes just look all over the quilts and you'll see the different colors and angles. So my quilts are more like joking quilts. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What about you, Mary Margaret? Well, my quilts, I like pattern quilts. I get as close as I can to perfection. Scissors are my best friend, so I get as close as I can. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's the only way to even the quilt off is to cut it. I get as close as I can. They're what catches my eye at that particular moment. I love two-color quilts also. So it's just whatever catches my eye. Yeah, how wonderful. And I'd love to ask you as well, why do you make quilts? What do you see quilts first and foremostly as? Well, for me, I see quilts as for (laughs) putting on the bed, warming you. But here lately, they've been used for, you know, hanging on the wall for artwork now. So, but mostly for using on the bed. Yeah, a, a quilt should be used regardless. I mean, some people hang them on the walls. I don't think they don't know those same quilts are going to need washing soon because it's still catching everything. And in order to keep a quilt alive, you actually need to wash it every now and again, you know, wash it and dry it every now and again (laughs) before it starts to dry riding. But if it's in use on the bed, then no, it's not going to, it's very rare to do that. Yeah. Yeah, you better tell the Met that they need to start washing your quilts. I bet they'll be horrified. <laughs> no, I don't think they'll do it. <laughs> if only they knew what I know about. Yeah. 
I love the idea of the Met, you know, dry cleaning the quilts or something. So, I mean, what materials are you drawn to for making quilts? I mean, Loretta, I have to say one of my favourite quilts of all the G's Bend quilt makers is your fantastic work called Work Clothes, which for anyone who's listening, please look it up. It's basically made of denim and jeans. I mean, tell us the story behind this quilt. Well, that quilt, after the first show in Houston in 2002, it took me a year or two to, you know, before I got back really into sewing. So, and I took all my jeans, denim, and my husband and my three sons, and I, I decided to put them in a quilt. But I like using denim and corduroy and tweed. I just like using stuff that someone had been wearing, something that they love to wear. I like using clothing like they did back in the olden days when my mother and grandmother and great-grandmother used to sew and make quilts. Yeah. Yeah. And me, on the other hand, I like just plain, soft cotton material. I like to back the quilt with muslin. There are sometimes I don't use muslin. Every now and again, I won't use it simply because I'm out of it. I like something that's really, really soft, soft materials. Yeah. Good for keeping warm. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. I mean, Mary Margaret, could you tell us about any quilts in particular that you've made that perhaps have been particularly poignant to you? Oh, yes. I've made one of my mother's designs, the Birds in the Air quilt. And it's patterned after the one that is in the High Museum in Atlanta. And when I tell you, I had to put that quilt down a couple of times and then turn around that next week or so and go back to it because those are a lot of points and they really need to match. So after a while, my interest kind of wanders. So (laughs) I'll leave it alone for a minute. I'll come back to it, you know? So, but that's one of the ones I've made. I see design and inspiration everywhere. Every now and again, now, I will make an abstract quilt and that's no Rhyme, no reasons, but it's it's not often. Every nine man. You've got some high standards to live up to with your mother. <laughs> I believe in keeping the tradition alive. No long stitches, none of that good stuff. <laughs> it really wasn't easy then, but it's uh, quilting now to suit me. Yeah. Myself. I love that. And to both of you, how do you feel when you're quilt making? Oh, I feel very relaxed when I am. <laughs> when I'm having to go by a pattern, then I'm not. <laughs> you can see me and Mary. I recall going down to, you know, when we used to go and play at my auntie, her mother's house, and she would always make us sit down and uh, try to make a, a block or something. But she was really, I won't say strict, but she was kind of particular about her points and stuff. <laughs> And I was not about that. I, I was always coloring outside the line, as you would say, with <laughs> sewing outside the line. But anyway, I really feel good. It's therapy for me when I'm sitting down making a quilt, just feeling the material in my hand or the clothing in my hand. That really gives me some good therapy, good relaxation. Yeah. Oh, amazing. And so what are your earliest memories of quilt making? <laughs> Punishment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh, really? Yeah. Oh, my earliest memory, having to sit there and stretch. Just sitting there stretching and kneeling when you want to be outside playing like, you know, a normal 
six-year-old would want to do. <laughs> six years old, you know, sitting, uh, standing beside the quilt or laying under the quilt uh, while my mother and grandmother and aunties uh, was quilting or, or just piecing or making a quilt. And mine was punishment because I was always in the sub. If you think about it, if you've got a six-year-old now or a five-year-old now, you turn them loose with a needle and tell them to sew a couple of stitches. Of course, that child is going to stick themselves with that needle, and they're probably going to throw it down once they do it, you know? So it was punishment you had. I guess that was a way to put structure into my life. I'm sure that's what she was going for. She actually achieved it, too. That's the way I look at it. It was strict punishment. Other than that, it, it was all right. Because, I mean, when you're a child growing up, you know, children do actually need structure. And some people do it differently than others. I can say I do not like punishment like that, but it is very effective. <laughs> it, it is very effective on the girls and the boys. Yes, you, you learn a certain respect for that needle. You learn respect for that thread. And I promise you, if you're one that likes to, you know, kind of have little dirty thoughts about your mother, that needle and thread and those pieces will teach you a firm respect for them because you're going to obey everything they say from here on simply for fear of t them telling you to go and get your needle and thread and come on, you know. <laughs> and so tell us about your first quilt, Loretta. Well, my first memory of making a quilt by myself was a flower garden. Oh, wow. And it was an octagon-shaped quilt. I worked on it all summer long. The octagon shape, you know, it got five, six sides to it. The hardest quilt that you can make, <laughs> this should be a quilt for very experienced quilters. Oh my gosh, starting at the top. Region high. We're all trying to do that. I, I think my mom may have cut it out. I don't recall, but I don't remember cutting those pieces out because I know they would have been all messed up. But anyway, quilt came out all crooked. It didn't come out like it should have came out. Well, I'm a bit surprised if it actually did, even if it was a child's prodigy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have been. <laughs> yeah, that was a very complicated quilt to make. And I don't know why I wanted to tackle that as being my very first quilt <laughs> to work on. I think maybe because it was popular during that time of the year. It should have been in the early, well, 72, 73 time. But anyway, that quilt, I worked on it every day, oh. Sunday, during that summer. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> obviously you're both first cousins, am I right in thinking? Yes. And I mean, what do you feel that you've learned from your older generations? I mean, how have your mothers and your grandmothers or your aunties, <laughs> how have they influenced your quilt making? Oh, well, you know, my mother was a perfectionist, so... You know, I was always trying to find something to try her patience. And I hit upon one quilt when she was sitting in a wheelchair. And I said, I bet you can't make this. And she told me, I bet you I could. That woman sat there in that wheelchair, sitting in someone. And she turned around. She made that quilt. One of the cousins got that pattern from me. But my mother was, like I say, she was a perfectionist. I used her pattern for that quilt. 
And it is in a museum somewhere, I'm thinking. I don't exactly know where, but it's a beautiful quilt. But what I did with that one, I leveled my pieces off also. And it looks much fuller. So to me, it looks better. You know, I cannot say she didn't know what she was doing with some needle and thread because that woman knew what to do with some needle, thread, and cloth and a pair of scissors. Nothing she went up against and, and to tackle it. She tackled it perfectly. Amazing. Amazing. How does it feel seeing her work in the museum? It's very interesting. The first museum I went to, she didn't have a work in it. We went to the De Young Museum a few years ago in, in California, and that's the first museum I went to. And we went to LACMA. So those are the first two I went to. I loved it. When I got to New York, I saw my mother's quilts hanging on the wall, all them old quilts. And, you know, I'm going in there. And I looked at the wall. I see my mother's quilts. I looked at my friend. I said, look, now, I remember this thing here. This is one I used to sleep on. No. I totally forgot where I was. So there were other people that heard me. I didn't mean to sound derogatory about it, but, you know, basically that quilt was done. <laughs> it was done in the 70s, you know, and there's a bunch of everything. You got some jersey knit in that quilt. You got cotton knit in that quilt. You got lint, a little piece of linen is in that quilt. Just a little bit of everything in that quilt. That was mainly, and Loretta would know what I'm talking about, that was a sleeping quilt. That wasn't no showing out quilt. That was a sleeping quilt. And those were the, you know, what we considered to be the ugliest <laughs> quilts. And now it's hanging on the mat. It's hanging in the mat. <laughs> you know, I have to, I may need to take some art lessons somewhere along the way to see what art really is because, um, Apparently, I have no appreciation for it. <laughs> no, you're inventing it, Mary Margaret. I don't know. I don't know about that inventing. I, you know, I just some days I have to wonder about me and my sense of style. I mean, I'm missing the whole thing of everything around here. I like using nature's palette, but whoever thought a jersey mint green would go with a poppy red? You know? Yeah. A blue and white stripe. Whoever thought about all of this, but everything like that is in that quilt. Yeah. I don't even know what the back of that quilt was, you know. I just knew it kept us warm. It was my bed quilt. I didn't even realize she had sold it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were probably looking for it in the attic or something, and then it just sort of appears on the met wall. I love that. I was looking for it on the shelf. I mean, I mentioned in the introduction, Gee's Bend is this remote town, you know, surrounded on three sides by the Alabama River. I mean, could you describe this place for us? And what's the environment like in Boykin, otherwise known as Gee's Bend? Well, instead of a remote town, I like to think of us as a cul-de-sac <laughs> where you go in and circle and come back out. It's more like a cul-de-sac. We have great hunting. We have great fishing. Probably the safest neighborhood in the world that you want to grow up in. It's pretty much the best place in the world. You can go 
you can actually borrow pretty much a whole meal down there. You know, borrow a cup of flour, a cup of sugar, a cup of cornmeal, a loaf of bread. We used to have uh, people that grew cane, so we used to do, you know, cane syrup. We used to have a cucumber factory, a canning factory, a squash factory. We used to have a candle dipping factory also. It's, it's a lot of things that we used to have that we just got rid of because the people that know how to do them, Everybody seems to have let those traditions die. And quilting is one thing down there I don't think that's ready to die yet. Yeah. Simply because a lot of people know how to do it. I mean, I'm in my 50s. I'm almost 60. Okay. But I have a 26-year-old and a 23-year-old that know how. They may never do it in my lifetime. (laughs) Because both of them hate sewing and hate quilting. Oh, no. But I do it, you know. I know how to put a bottom in a chair, you know. But we used to have people that made the split oak baskets and, and just everything down there. We were pretty much self-contained. That's the kind of community, or rather cul-de-sac, <laughs> You never need to leave G's Bend. Very seldom. We needed a little other different things, you know, the fruits and whatnot. But otherwise, we were pretty much, you know, good to go. I love how the world knows that the women of G's Bend are these quilt makers. But actually, you have clearly done so much more. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have. And so, Loretta, how has the the sort of community and the landscape of G's Bend and Boykin really sort of influenced your work? Well, I would have to say, yes, it has, because I look at barns and where a barn used to stand, or just a chimney. So I would have to say it's a it's a big influence on there. And seeing women sitting on the porch, sewing or, or quilting out in the yard, and that kind of put me back in my mind. It put me back in a time when they was, you know, when they used to make quilts and piece quilts together. Since I don't live down there full time anymore, but it's a really common thing when you go down and you can pass someone's house and see someone sitting on the porch, you know, just sewing, sewing and singing or, you know, singing to themselves or it's really a common and relaxing place. It takes me back to my childhood time. So. Yeah. And I mean, do the colors inform the quilts that you go on to make at all? Sometimes. I have said it's not a whole lot of flowers down there, but I love bright, fun colors <laughs> that jump out at you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I'd love to find out more about the history of G's Bend. I've read that the quilting tradition in G's Bend may go back as far as the early 1800s. Just to give a bit of context for our audience, in 1816, the surrounding land around G's Bend was owned by Joseph G, and the people of G's Bend were enslaved on the land. In 1845, the land was then sold to Mark Petway, hence the many people in the community having the same surname as Petway, even if they are not related. Mark Petway ran a plantation which picked cotton, amongst other things. During the Depression in the 1930s, the price of cotton plummeted, and the businessmen who had exploited the Gisben families collected debts, leaving them with little else. In 1937, the government purchased most of Gisbend and sold them as farms to the Gisbend families. In 1949, Gisbend was renamed Boykin, but is still known locally today as Gisbend. But I'm fascinated to know, I mean, when did the quilting tradition actually come to be in the early 20th century? 
I would have to say during that time, they didn't have a whole lot. From just looking at some of the pictures back in the late 30s, most of the houses was just old shacks and log cabins. And so you can imagine that it was pretty cold in the wintertime. You needed something to keep the dust out, to keep the cold out, and keep you warm at night because you really needed, you know, you needed some covering to be able to survive the winter. I don't know, but I would imagine it wasn't as harsh as some places. Still, it was winter <laughs> and I uh, still got cold there. I would have to imagine uh, that's where quilting, you know, began trying to keep you warm. Yeah. Where does G's Bend get its name from? It was from a gentleman from North Carolina, and his name was Joseph G. And so when he came to Alabama, bought the land there. And so the place, and since the Alabama was surrounded by a river, and they called it the Bend, and so they started calling it after his last name, G's Bend. That's how we got the name, G's Bend. Yeah. And so, I mean, you've had such a rich history with so many people visit. I mean, in the 60s, the time of the civil rights movement, I mean, am I right in thinking that actually Martin Luther King Jr. came to visit G's Bend? Yes, you are correct. I believe in 65, he came down to Southern Grove after church. He made a visit down there, and uh, there's a recording of it in the Library of Congress where he was speaking in that church trying to get the ones down there to vote, just march for human rights, just during that time. Do you have any family relatives or anything who remember him coming? Because I've read apparently over heavy rain one winter night, he shouted, I came over here to G's Bend to tell you, you are somebody. Well, Mary Lee Bendall, I hear her talking about it a lot. And she often talked about how exciting it was and different it was and also scary also because it was unsettling time even back then too went through the civil rights movement. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, then in 1966, G's Bend quilts came to national attention when they made quilts for the newly established Freedom Quilting Bee. I mean, can you tell us about this? I remember in the 70s when my mom started working at the Freedom Quilting Bee and people was taking notice of the quilts that the women made down there. But these quilts that they were taking notice. I guess they was pattern quilts. And I mean, what's so interesting about the G's Bend Quilt Makers is the fact that it's only been in recent decades that you have come to such incredible international renown and prominence. In the late 1990s, you were visited by some collectors and by 2002 were exhibiting in a major touring exhibition that began at the MFA Houston and travelled to the Whitney Museum in New York and 11 others across the States. I mean, this must have happened so fast. I'm fascinated to know what was the community like in the 1990s and how did people actually find this transition? when these quilts were considered works of art rather than just for practical means? I would have to say that they did, most of the women, we was kind of skeptic about it, also curious about it, yeah, but also skeptic about it because here you're talking about these quilts are works of art. The women didn't know anything about art. The only thing that they knew, like myself, I thought art was just only painting, not with quilts. I would have to say they was kind of doubtful that they these quilts would be in a museum one day. Even after seeing them with their own eyes, they were still in disbelief that people were calling these quilt works of art. Yeah. Here we are, you know, these are quilts that we was sleeping on, we had on the floor that we used as 
pallets for kids to lay down and take naps. And now you're calling these works of art. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, when I first went to a show, the quilts, I wanted to go up, where well, I did go up and touch the quilts. And they were like, no, 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 you can't, you can't touch the quilt. I'm like, I step on these quilts. I guess I wanted to see what, feel what they saw. And the only way that I can do that was by touching it because I couldn't see it with my mind's eye. So I wanted to touch it to see how real it was because like I said, we slept on them. We slept, laid them out on the floor. And for me, we were always skeptical about somebody that had money down there because money was not in abundance at that time, okay? Especially not from the quilts. I remember we used to sell them for like $75 for a king-size fully quilted quilt. If you got one sale per year, that was very good, you know? Like Loretta says, you want to touch them. You see them and you want to touch them. With me, when I finish a quilt now, and, and I've done it for a long time. I never knew why, but I thought about it. When you finish a quilt, you rub your hand across that quilt. You can just about feel that quilt come to life because that quilt feels so good when you rub your hand across it. It tells a story in itself. So you can feel in the quilt, feel the softness or the harshness of it. If you feel the backside, it's a totally different contrast to it. And it's like she said, we slept under these things. We also had them hanging on the wall to keep air out of your house. We had them hanging to the windows because those old windows were like wooden windows. So air, it just paused briefly and then it came in. Some of them got cut up simply because you couldn't afford a mat at that time. So you'd get a really, really old raggedy quilt and you cut it into four or five pieces. And you can wipe your feet on that before you come and track mud all through somebody's house. Those same quilts, you put an old quilt on the floor for your baby to crawl around on, for the children to sit next to the fireplace on. You use those cut up pieces to make a smoke for the mosquitoes in the, in the summertime if you're sitting outside. I mean, quilts are so, so very, very versatile. There is nothing. Nothing in the world like a good roaring fireplace on a cold winter's night <laughs> and a good, nice, warm quilt to wrap up with. And so what was it like then seeing the work of your quilts and also the elder generation in the museum? <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing and also unbelievable. The one quilt that my mom had in the show, and I remember sleeping on that quilt. It was mind-blowing also to see them on the wall. The more I saw them hanging on the wall in different museums, I was beginning to see the art before. It was just a quilt. I didn't see the beauty in it. And also the women's, the most of them had passed down. When they saw those quilts hanging on the wall, they couldn't believe it. They was like, my <laughs> goodness, you know, they got oh. these old raggedy things hanging on the wall. They couldn't see the art, but it was amazing for, you know, for people to show those quilts to different ones and to see people's reaction. You can see the struggle. You can see the joy. You can see sadness and happiness. 
you can see all those different emotions in those quilts. Personally, I see pain in them quilts because a lot of those quilts were quilted with real cotton, which we know is real thick. That lint from the gin house, cotton, you had a lot of broke needles in them quilts. And when you break a needle nine times out of ten, you're going to scratch your hand some kind of way, either trying to get it on through or when you break it, it's going to stick that thumb finger every time. Those quilts were born from pain, believe it or not. But they still continue to quilt and make quilts and design quilts in their mind's eye. There are memories of pain, but they bring joy now. And so, I mean, since having the recognition in the early 2000s, how has that affected the way that you make quilts now? Do people now see them as art when they're making them, or do you just still make them how you always made them? Me, myself, I make them how I've always made them. Yeah, me too. I just make them. I make them like always. I can make a pattern quilt, but I find more fun at making them the way I like to make them. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I'm trying to make art, because I'm still having a hard time wrapping my mind around, <laughs> you know, quilts and being art, because I'm still, my mind is still thinking that, but I still make them the same way, but they just happen to just turn out to be art. And I mean, in 2006, you actually, the U.S. Postal Service used G's Ben quilts on their stamps. I mean, how was that? <laughs> that was a, another mind-blowing thing. <laughs> <laughs> They're definitely the best stamps they've ever had. Oh, yes. I bought some and I didn't use them. I still have them. So I hate I didn't go and buy up oh. as many as possible. It was mind-blowing and crazy to see them on a, <laughs> on a postal stamp. <laughs> yeah. What amazed me most about those hostage stamps, I actually knew every one of the artists. See, G's Ben is basically an artist colony, and we grew up in an artist colony. We never knew, but looking back, that's what it wound up being. So who knew? <laughs> who knew at the time? <laughs> but I mean, you know, in then 2018, I mean, Amy Sherald, with her fantastic portrait of Michelle Obama, actually referenced G's Ben in the dress. I mean, how was that for you? That was crazy wild. <laughs> I have to say that was mind-blowing. Like one of the older ladies said, who would have ever thought that the first lady of the United States would be wearing pattern likeness from the G's Ben quilt in a dress? Who would have ever thought it? <laughs> yeah, and then one of those patterns seemed to be my mother's own. And when I met her, <laughs> she was crying because she was so happy. And I just about cried. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a crybaby or anything like that. Now, my tears are deep, oh. but I almost cried meeting her. <laughs> oh, wow. You met her? Yeah, she recognized perfection pretty much <laughs> to me. In my mind, this is what my mind said. She recognizes perfection, so she's got it going on. Oh, wow. And so, I mean, how does it feel, you know, being... It must feel quite amazing, you know, with the show on at the moment at Alice and Jake's, the fact that, Loretta, you're exhibiting alongside your mother and your grandmother. I mean, that must be wonderful to have that in the sort of same room, almost in kind of conversation with each other. Right. Yes, it is. It is very wonderful because... Before my mother passed, um, I won't say it was like a competition of someone, but <laughs> when I knew <laughs> she was making something and I wasn't making anything, so I would have to go and make something. 
So when I see her work and my work alongside each other, it makes me want to go and make something just to, in a way, honor her because she loved to sew. She would sew every day of the week. She picked it, even pick it up on Sunday until my dad would remind her, oh, you know, it's Sunday. You can't be sewing on Sunday. She just really enjoyed sewing. And so, and I do myself when I thought someone out of, I don't, I can't think of nothing but someone. I don't want the phone to rain. I can't talk to nobody. I, I don't want to cook. My mind is just one track. When I'm making something, when my mind is on it, I want to do it. Especially when I see something coming together that's really, in my mind, that looks good to me. I don't want anything to interrupt it. All I want to do is finish it. <laughs> Yeah, I never tried to compete with my mother because I'm not that disciplined. I, I really am not. <laughs> my patience is not long enough for it. Like I said, I'll put it down and go back to it sometime, but I will finish it eventually. But uh, I wasn't going to compete with Ma anytime. A 78, 79-year-old woman can start sewing, get her pieces, cut them, and make a whole quilt top in a day. It just don't make no sense. This girl, she was a perfectionist. I just couldn't do it. Maybe later on in life, I may develop it. Who knows? Yeah. And so what's the future of G's Bend? In the past 23, 24 years, God has had a quite a few surprises for G's Bend. What we consider to be old women, <laughs> old decrepit women no less yeah. now, Turned out that they were artists all along. We never knew. Now, it also turns out that those women, as old as they were, a lot of them went their first time to a museum in their old age. A lot of them flew the first time in their old age. A lot of them went to, some of them went to hockey games and professional baseball games in their old age. Now, Saying that to say this, who knew that they were rock stars of the quilting world? I never knew. So <laughs> people are literally <laughs> clamoring over themselves, you know, to experience G's Bend. I mean, we try to make it a quilter's destination. Don't get me wrong. But G's Bend is basically a lifestyle. It's the life that we live. But if you're visiting down here, you're sitting in a yard, there are going to be cars that come by there. You don't know those people. They don't know you. But what the first thing they're going to do is either wave or blow their horn and speak to you. Like I say, G's Bend is an experience. It's not just a designation. It's an experience. So yeah. It is what it is. I enjoy it. I know that much. And I hope that the younger women and men continue to carry on the tradition of making quilts. As I said uh, some years back, that quilting is in our genes. Or if you were born in Jeans Bend from someone from Jeans Bend, I think it's going to continue. It would always continue. Even though it may show up some years later, you know, 10, 30, 40 years later, it will always be a part of someone from Jeans Bend. Amazing. Well, thank you both so much. Thank you. This has been such a treat to speak to you. But as it says, the Great Women Artists podcast, we do always ask our guests at the end, 
if there was an artist or a quilt maker or perhaps one of the G's Bend quilt makers from back in the day who you'd most like to meet, who would it be and what would you say to them? Well, I think I would like to meet my grandmother, my mother's mother. She died before I was born. She died in her 50s. So that would be the one that I would like to meet. I think I would like to meet my great-great-grandmother on my mother's side, her dad mother, because he talked about, well, he talked about his mother a lot. My granddaddy Tank would always say he was old lady Sally's son. She was a midwife. And from the time that I can remember being little, wanting to be a school teacher, I wanted to be a nurse. And she used to deliver babies. And so I would love to meet her and just really talk to her. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much. It's been such an honour to speak to you. I can't wait for everyone to see your exhibition again in London when lockdown ends. It's going to be fantastic. Is there anything you would like to add? I know you have prepared some great quotes for us to end on. I'd just like to leave a quote that I saw in a museum some years back. I think it was by Edgar Dubois, but he said that art is not what you see but what you make others see. And so I think to me what it means is we see quilts and other people, they see art. I use that as my steam. So it's not what I make, not what I see, but what my work makes me see. We already know mine. My mother, I like her quote. She used to say, take what you have to make what you need. In essence, you don't have to buy pieces. You can use what you have. Instead of going out there trying to get what other people have and what other people do, do you. You know, that you can't go wrong doing you. So I never go wrong. Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much. Thank you all so much for listening to the 56th episode of the Great Woman Artist Podcast with the brilliant Loretta Petway Bennett and Mary Margaret Petway of the G's Bend Quilt Makers. I am just in awe at their work, how they have trailblazed the quilting world as well as innovated art history. And for those in London, do not miss their fantastic exhibition at Alison Jake's Gallery until the 25th of April 2021. And I hope that we can see much more of their incredible works in more museums soon. As always, I have linked to everything in the show notes. This episode was sound edited by the brilliant Laura Hendry. And if you have been enjoying this episode so far, I would be so grateful if you were to leave a review as it helps others find us. And of course, thank you so much for listening to the Great Women Artists podcast with me, Katie Hessel.